Hello, welcome to Hope Church Harrogate's Message of the Week. If you'd like to connect with us, please head over to hopeharrogate.co.uk forward slash connect. We'd love to hear from you. Morning. How are we all? Doing all right? Good. We are in John chapter 15 this morning. So if you've got a Bible, why don't you open it up? We're going to start by reading. And um, I'll read it, but you're going to join in with me. When I say the word friends, you're going to say it with me. Simple. I've even put it in bold in the reading so you know when you're joining in. Aren't I kind? Right, John 15, we're going to start at verse 12. Jesus is speaking and he says, My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. And this really famous passage of um, Jesus' teaching, you'll almost certainly have heard it many times before if you've ever been in a church. You may well have heard it if you have never been in a church before. And it's, it's taken from the night before Jesus was arrested. So this is the upper room teaching. It's called John chapter 14, 15, 16. He sits at the Last Supper doing the Passover meal with his disciples and he teaches them. And uh, I'm called this message this morning, The Table. Because my aim is that whenever you see a table, you will remember what I'm going to tell you today. How often do you see a table? Several times a day. My aim is to turn that everyday object into a permanent reminder of the grace of God in your life. Because as Jesus and his friends sat on the table, which is probably more like the picture on the bottom than the top, although the top picture is obviously more famous. He taught them, and one of the key bits, in fact, the centerpiece of his teaching is this passage we've just read, and it has this remarkable sentence, I no longer call you servants, I call you friends. Jesus calls you friend. Jesus calls me friend. Jesus calls the person next to you friend. Why don't you have a look at them for a moment? That's Jesus' friend. You are his friend. I am his friend. He says, I don't call you servants. I call you friends. And I thought I'd unpack the difference for us between servants and friends. And uh, to do that, I want to tell you a story from my life. See, when I was a student, which is increasingly a very long time ago, I had, what are you laughing for? I had a a job, part-time job alongside my studies, and I was a waiter. 
I was a silver service waiter. And so I know this is about as smart as I ever get these days. But in those days, I would routinely be found wearing very smart trousers, shiny shoes, a very crisp white shirt, a black waistcoat, dicky bow, and I, would look, I looked smart. I was going to say good. Uh, that's debatable, but I looked smart. Uh, that, was my, that was my outfit. That was my get-up. And we went all over the north of the country. I worked for an agency, and we went to all kinds of different events, doing silver service waitering mainly. And in fact, one of my claims to fame in life is I was once at York Races, in one of the executive suites doing some silver service. And I kid you, I mean, it would be shut down for fire regs now, but at the time, the tables, I've never seen tables so close together. And so you're sort of edging along between tables to serve people. And I, I bent down to serve roast potatoes to someone, and my bum hit the person behind me. And I, I turned around to apologize. Sir Alex Ferguson. I sat on Sir Alex Ferguson's back, <laughs> serving roast potatoes at York Races. It's my claim to fame. Thank you. I was delighted. As a football fan who doesn't support Manchester United, I was delighted that that's what had happened. Anyway, that's beside the point. Um, one summer at university, I basically spent the whole summer working at one particular venue, quite a nice hotel between Leeds and York. Uh, and my working week consisted of this. Wednesday and Thursday, I worked 1 p.m. till 1 a.m., Friday, Saturday, 1 p.m. till 3 a.m., and Sunday, 1 p.m. till 1 a.m. And I worked at weddings. I spent the entire summer at weddings that I wasn't invited to. And uh, this is what it looked like. You'd roll up, and you'd do the drinks reception for people who'd arrived. You'd serve canapes outside. Then you'd go into the wedding breakfast, and you'd serve the food. You'd clear down the courses. You'd fill wine. You'd fill water. You'd do the next course, repeat. Then they do the speeches, which is, of course, the most entertaining part of the wedding, and you had to leave because you weren't welcome. And then when they finish them, you come back and tidy up, turn it into a dance floor, spend the rest of the night tidying up after people who were enjoying the party. Uh, and then you have to set up the evening buffet, clear that down. They'd all finish at midnight, uh, Wednesday, Thursday, Sunday, or 2 o'clock on Friday and Saturday, and you'd then spend the next hour cleaning the room and resetting for the next day to go again. It was the closest I've probably come in my life to servanthood. And uh, this was the deal. I was at weddings I wasn't invited to, and my job, apart from doing all those things, was to be out of the way. So we've got, got a little slide. My job was to stand away from the table. You know, I only get to go near the table when I'm doing something useful. The people at the table, they didn't know me, they didn't value me, they only wanted me to be near them when they wanted something from me more roast potatoes or a top-up of wine. And you live in perpetual fear when you're doing this kind of thing of doing it wrong. And so here's a story for you. My first ever shift at this place, which was my first ever silver service shift, I was given the top table to wait on. Anyone who's thinking about getting married, I've got a key piece of life advice for you now. The, the happy couple had chosen to have silver service, Fine, if that's what you like. But for starter, they had chosen soup. It's my first ever silver service shift. I'm serving the top table. The first person you serve at a wedding is the bride. And so I have in one hand an urn of tomato and basil soup, <laughs> which I'm holding by the base like this. I have a ladle in this hand, and I have to sort of edge along the top table, which is quite close to the wall because it's quite a big wedding, 
lean over the bride in her dress. And I mean, I've never been so scared in all my life. Serve soup into the bowl without splashing it, without spilling it, whilst this very full urn of soup is in my hand. I didn't spill it. The sweat poured off me. And then we do the rest of it. I mean, it was terrifying. You just live in perpetual fear of it going wrong. Because if it goes wrong, you've ruined someone's special day. Um, I was once, this is another silly story for no reason whatsoever, but I quite like it. I was working at a very big function in a big like, arena, and there was another guy called Adam who also did this, the same, same job as I did. And he, we were serving, silver serving, roast potatoes again. And uh, he, he served, he, we were cleaning actually. He picked up the stuff and was cleaning the plates. And as he brushed someone's leftovers onto the plate, a roast potato rolled over the plate and off. And we were like in the cheap seats around the edge. And so he went to volley it into the curtain. Because there's like black drapes all around the room. And a roast potato on the floor, that's just dangerous. So, you know, social conscience. My friend Adam went to volley it into the curtain. Only it, he did volley it, just not into the curtain. He, he, he swung and he sliced it. And the only two people in this room of about two and a half thousand people that saw it were me and him. And I've got hands full of heavy plates. And he sliced it and it went up. And over the next table, none of them noticed, and landed in the corner of the room. Uh, and he and I just stopped, looked at each other, smiled and carried on walking into the kitchen. <laughs> it's just brilliant. But you live in perpetual fear of it going wrong, because if it goes wrong, you've ruined someone else's stuff. Someone else's special day, someone else's moment that spent a lot of money going to. That's the life of a servant. You stand away from the table, you're unknown, you're unvalued unless you're needed, and you live in fear of doing it wrong. But Jesus says, I don't call you servants. I call you friends. And a friend doesn't stand away from the table. A friend sits at the table. The friend is known and loved and valued. In fact, there's a place name for you with your seat. You get given food and drink. You're invited to participate in what's going on at the table. If I, as a Silver service waiter had tried to chip into the conversation from the side of the room, you know, chip, join the conversation, that would be kind of inappropriate, unwelcome. But if I'm sat at the table, it's expected that I join in with what's going on. Jesus said, I no longer call you servants, I call you friends. Jesus doesn't want you to stand at the edge of the room, away from the table, unvalued, unknown, unloved, scared of getting everything wrong. He's invited you by name, to sit at the table with him, known, loved, valued, involved in the business of the table. Because the Christian faith is about grace. I don't know if you know this. I don't know what you think Christianity is about, but I would say it's about grace, the grace of God. And this is what that means grace unconditionally welcomes you. Unconditionally welcomes you to the table. At the table, everyone is welcome, however they are. But the power of grace also means that anyone who sits and remains at the table will remain as they were. Grace welcomes us as we are, but it values us too much to leave us that way. 
Grace unconditionally welcomes us, and grace inevitably changes us. And you see this, I mean, pick whatever story you like from the life of Jesus. Zacchaeus, funny little man was he, caught up a sycamore tree. Jesus calls him down by name, says, Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house for tea. I'm almost singing it, aren't I? And uh, Grace welcomes him as he's, he's betrayed his nation. He's ripping people off. He's just not very nice. You wouldn't like him. But Jesus welcomes him as he is, sits with him, eats with him. And what happens to Zacchaeus? Utterly changed. He comes out from having been at the table with Jesus and gives all of his wealth away to the people he's stolen it from. Abundantly, lavishly, willingly, delightedly. Grace has welcomed him at the table as he was. But as he sat with Jesus, it's utterly changed him. He's a totally new man. How about Mary Magdalene? Her history was somewhat dark, somewhat blemished. The scriptures talk about her being possessed and being delivered from demons. If you've seen The Chosen, um, you know, her story is sketched out in that series beautifully, movingly. You know, from a place of darkness, she's unconditionally welcomed by Jesus and not left in darkness but rescued and transformed to the point where who does Jesus trust on resurrection morning with the great news of his victory over death? But Mary Magdalene makes her the apostle to the apostles. This woman of ill repute is trusted with the greatest news the world has ever heard. Grace welcomed her but refused to leave her as she was. At the table with Jesus, my friends, everyone is welcome, however they are, but no one who sits and remains with Jesus is left as they were. Everyone is welcome, no matter what you've done, no matter the state of your life, no matter the presence of doubts, no matter the scale of your problems. Everyone is welcome at the table. And you see it through his life. Jesus sat and ate with all kinds of people. He sat and ate with his disciples, his friends, day after day, and they were changed. Jesus sat with tax collectors and sinners. You've read that if you've read the stories of Jesus. One of them, Matthew. Jesus says, hey, come follow me. Matthew leaves his life of tax collecting again, a betrayer of his nation, really, a traitor to the Jewish people. Leaves it all behind and invites all the other tax collectors around his house for a party and invites Jesus. Jesus sits and eats with them and knows them and loves them and values them, unconditionally welcomes them, but refuses to leave them as they are. There are some others that Jesus did sit at the table with but refused to remain. The Pharisees, Jesus sat and ate with, but their hearts were so hard they refused to change and they had to leave. On the night of this teaching, Jesus sat with a man who was betraying him who had in his possession 30 pieces of silver. And Jesus unconditionally welcomed him at the table. They dipped their hands in the bread at the same time. But his heart was hard, and he couldn't remain. But grace invites us to the table. It says, if you remain, you will inevitably change. And friends, my point before I move on to my main point this morning is that those at the table don't get to judge. If you don't deserve to be at the table in your own merit, 
then how could you ever judge someone who's not yet at the table? We're welcomed unconditionally, but we're only welcomed empty-handedly. If you're busy trying to justify yourself to Jesus, giving him all the reasons why he should accept you, you've, you've not got it. In fact, we have to put all of our self-justification down in order to be welcomed and justified by Christ, which is beautifully prayed at the end of worship. And so those of us who are Christians, those of us who sit at the table, we cannot judge. No one's there on their own merit. We brought nothing to proceedings. We're only there because Jesus laid down his life for his friends. He laid down his life for those who were far off, but he wanted to call friends. You could say that at the cross, there was an arms wide open invitation. The price for it was paid in that moment. Fully, nothing left to pay so that anybody could come and be welcome. Jesus invites everyone to the table. Come to the table. Remain with me. His grace will not leave you as you were. But there's a second thing that happens at the table which is mind-blowing. And it's this. You find it in verse 15, which I've got on a slide for us. And Jesus says, pay attention. Everything that I learned from my Father, I have made known to you. There's lots of nice words in this passage and lots of things that amaze us and are worth dwelling on. This, of all of them, is incredible. Everything that I learned from my Father, I have made known to you, says Jesus. You could say that as you come to the table and you sit with Jesus, on the table are the Father's purposes and plans, unrolled, his purposes and plans for the kingdom. And if you were a servant, you'd be stood at the edge of the room unable to see the plans. Maybe if no one's looking, you might get a glimpse of a little piece here or there. Certainly when you're needed, someone might say from the plans, hey, your task is this, go. The servants, kept in the dark, they know only what is their task. But the friends are invited to the table and everything that Jesus learned from the Father is made known. Jesus hides nothing from you. It's remarkable. Servants are kept in the dark. Friends have everything shared with them. And my experience in my own life And my experience of talking with Christians tells me that many of us would much prefer it if we were still treated like servants. There are many moments in my life where I just really wanted a clear, personal, directional word from God. Oh Lord, tell me what to do, and I'll do it. And sometimes they come. They do. Sometimes there is a clear path. But many times, I don't know if you've noticed this, in the big moments of life, God goes quiet. And we're left. God, I really want you to tell me what to do. He's just quiet. And yet, if we're sat at the table, the whole purposes of God are out in front of us. I mean, we've got it all. You've got what God's like, what he wants to do, what it will look like, what the life of a believer looks like. We've got the visible demonstration of the life of Jesus showing us what it looks like to live the fulfilled 
full human life. We've got the purposes of the kingdom laid out for us. We've got the end of the story that we live knowing. We've got it all. I was with a friend of mine. He's a professional footballer recently, and we were talking about what it's like to be a professional footballer because I'm not one. But in my dreams, I would like to be one. And we were talking, and he was saying, Adam, the real sweet point, the moment of freedom as a footballer comes when the manager tells you exactly how he wants you to play. This is how we're going to play today. And he picks the team, and he says, you're going to play here, you're going to play here, you're going to play here, you're going to play here. Sends you out and trusts you to do what he's asked you to do. Trusts the ability that you possess, and that's why he signed you, to perform on the pitch. So there's nothing worse than being put on a pitch by a manager who doesn't trust you because you play uptight the whole time, petrified of making a mistake. But when you know the manager trusts you, it's utterly freeing. He looked at me and said, Adam, when the manager trusts you, you can smell it. You can smell it when the manager trusts you. And it's so freeing because you get on the pitch, the gaffer trusts me, and I can try it. I know what I'm trying to do. I know I'm there in the right place. I can try it. And if it doesn't come off, he's not going to slate me because he's trusted me. You can smell it when he trusts you. Friends, the reason why God sometimes goes quiet at major decisions in our life is not that he's abandoned us. It's that he trusts us. You're crying out to the Lord, oh God, just tell me what to do. And you feel like heaven is somewhat silent. Maybe, just maybe, he's already told you how he wants you to play, has put you in the team he wants you to be in, and trusts you. That is a revolutionary thought. That is the outcome of grace. How does it work? Well, here's an example. I have a friend, some of you might have heard this story before, and she, um, she had a job, and at her job in the staff room, it was like the worst place in the world, because you'd open the fridge, and every pint of milk would have written on it, keep off, Dave's, don't touch, like passive-aggressive post-it notes on the outside of the fridge saying, who's been drinking my milk? And she was like, it just shouldn't be like this. And so she decided, what I'm going to do is I'm going to buy a big thing of milk. I'm going to put it in the fridge with a note on saying, free for anyone to use. And let me tell you, she turned around several weeks later and she said, it has totally transformed the entire culture of where I work. That I go out and I buy six pints of milk every Monday morning. I put it in so anyone can have it. People talk to each other. So it's a nice place to go, the stuff. It was horrible, but now the stuff room's nice. She saw something that shouldn't have been Nobody stood up at the front of the room and said, I feel like God is saying that someone here this morning works somewhere where it's milk is selfish and <laughs> just feel like the Lord would say to you, take some egg. No, that didn't happen. I mean, it could. God does do it. And wonderful when he does. But he didn't. She went, this isn't right. I've read the book. God calls us to be generous. Everything I've got isn't mine anyway. It was all purchased by the blood of Jesus. So um, let me use my... How much does six pints of milk cost these days? Let me use my two pounds. It was like a few years ago. It was much cheaper then. And uh, I mean, it's two pounds a week to change the atmosphere of the place I work. Revolutionized. People knew each other. People liked each other. Because he trusts you. Here's another story. This guy here is called Robert Lavelle. 
black guy, lived in Pittsburgh in the 20th century. This is a picture, I think, from the 50s or 60s. And, uh, and he was an estate agent. And it, something really annoyed him. He could only sell houses to white people because the banks would only trust white people with loans. Most of the black people in Pittsburgh at the time were living in very poor neighborhoods, insecure jobs. And he was, as a black man himself, felt this was a travesty. And so he acquired a bank. I mean, I'm not entirely sure how he went about that, but he did. And it was called the Dwelling House Bank. And he lent at roughly half the market rate of interest to impoverished people to help them buy houses or set up businesses to further themselves because he saw the trap of poverty. Did God tell him to do it? No. But he'd read the book. He knew what God was like. He knew that God is on the side of the poor. He knew that what he had isn't his, it's the Lord's. And he knew that God had asked him to love justice and do mercy and walk humbly. Every shop in the estate where he had his bank had grills to protect the people. He refused to put them in. He was robbed at gunpoint eight times in his bank. Most times he evangelized to them, telling them that they're on a dead-end road and they really needed Jesus in their lives. Fifteen times his bank was broken into, but he continued to give money to people who no one else would give money to and saw countless families rescued from the trap of poverty. Many people able to buy their houses and pay less mortgage rate than they did rental rate before. Sound familiar? Like, the moment in your life, you might be at a milk moment. Two pound a week, I can change the atmosphere of the place I work. You might be at a bank moment. I could take over a bank. I could do something significant in size and stature. I mean, I couldn't do that. It's not the measure of grace of my life. But it was for him. He read the book. He went, I can do this. I know what the Lord's will is. I know what he's made me good at. I can do it. And he did it. Good examples? I thought they were. Sometimes following Jesus is really simple. Sometimes the simple thing is also very big. But he has shown us what is good. He has shown us what he's like. And he's invited us in to the table where the plans are laid out. What does it look like for you to look at those plans today? To look at your life tomorrow? Because, friends, as we sit at the table loved and known and valued, it changes our lives. It means we cannot be left as we were. As we learn about the Father's purposes, we can see so many things in the world that could be different. So many things that we might put our hand to and see transformed. As we sit at the table with the Father's purposes laid out and Jesus at our side, we are invited as his friends to dream of what the kingdom coming in our day might look like. Because you're not a servant. Jesus calls you friend. Servants don't get to dream. And if they do, it's never going to get fulfilled because they don't have the opportunity to sit at the table. But friends sit at the table with the purposes of the Father laid out before them and are invited to dream, invited to exercise creativity, invited to form and see the kingdom of God multiply in their day because they know what the Father is like and what his purposes for the world are.
Jesus said, I do not call you servants. I call you friends. My friends, we are invited to contribute. We are invited to participate. We are invited to join in with what the Lord is doing in our day. It's the greatest honor to be called friend, to sit at the table, knowing we brought nothing, but he did everything that was required in his death on the cross, to see the purposes laid out and to play our part in seeing them come. It's the Christian life. I don't know what you thought Christianity was about. It's about grace, grace that invites you unconditionally, refuses to leave you as you are, and invites you into the greatest adventure and the unfolding of the kingdom of God. We're going to finish with communion and time of worship this morning. I want to provoke you. What's your next step as a result of what we've shared this morning? Maybe for you, you'd never grasped you were a friend of God. Maybe you can identify, I was wanting to be a servant. Maybe you think God doesn't like you. Lots of people think that. They're wrong, but lots of people think that. Lots of people think they've disqualified themselves from the love of God. It's pretty difficult to do that. You haven't. Maybe today it's, you need revelation that you are a friend of Jesus. If that's you this morning, as you come and you take bread and wine, juice, we need to eat the bread and drink the juice. Say, Jesus calls me friend. And I pray that by the Spirit, revelation would hit your heart and you would know what he thinks of you. Maybe this morning, you recognize that you're happy with that, but there's some stuff in your life that you're just frustrated about, and you're desperate for change. Friends, it's only by the grace of God. It's only by sitting with Jesus. And as we spend time with Jesus, we are changed. We don't spend time with Jesus so that we get changed. We spend time with Jesus because he's worth it. We don't spend time with Jesus to earn transformation. We spend time with Jesus and enjoy his transformation. It's a really important distinction. But maybe this morning, that's the call. You go, do you know what? I know I'm a friend, but I never sit with Jesus. Friends, come sit with Jesus. See what he might do in your life. Invest in the friendship. Invest in looking at the plans of the Father that are on the table that you might know. Maybe this morning, you're like, no, I get it. What does this look like? What's my milk moment? Where's the bank that I can procure? What does it look like for me to partner with God in the coming of the kingdom in my day? Maybe it's time to creatively dream and scheme and see what the Lord might do. Perhaps, just maybe, the Lord will give the battle into our hands. That's his will. I've read the book. I know the ending. He wins. The earth is filled with the knowledge of the glory of God. Like the waters cover the seas. Last time I went to the beach, all of the sea was covered in water. That's his heart. That's his desire. Maybe today the call is dream. As you come, take the bread and the juice. I want to encourage you. Resolve, this is my step. Know that you're a friend. Invest in time with your friend Jesus. Dream of what the kingdom in our day might come. The kingdom coming in our day might look like in your setting. We're going to sing a couple of songs. Come whenever you like. But let's come before the Lord. Enjoy his presence with us. The one who calls us friend. (laughs) 